0: It really is a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, For me, coming back to GRX is like coming to visit family again. and uh, Well, if not family, then close relatives, because uh, uh, you've had probably a nine-year partnership with us. You've been supporting us since uh, we served in Kyrgyzstan, and you've also sent so many uh, teams, medical teams. So I feel like I know most of you in this community. So it really is uh, is a pleasure to be here, and I just want to reiterate that uh, to thank you. Thank you. We can't be doing what we're doing without uh, your prayers, your support, and all that you provide for our families. So, uh, so it gives me deep pleasure to be here and to, to share God's word with you this morning. Um, can we have a word of prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a God who loves the world and that you're a God who desires to bring about transformation, about redemption uh, in every corner of the world one person by one person. So this is who we celebrate this morning, and all we do here, our very presence here this morning, Lord, is to give you glory and give you praise. So would you just be here with us? We invite your Holy Spirit to be here. Just guide our hearts. uh, Open up our hearts, Lord. Help us to be receptive to the truth that you have to uh, give us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to speak to you this morning from the passage of Judges. Okay, And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. It's a story that all of us know from Sunday school. Uh, It's a story about Gideon. You guys know the story of Gideon. And um, I just want to share some principles that I think will be very useful for you as a church as you explore this journey of mission. Uh, It's a privilege to be here during Missions Month. And from what I understand, last month, you as a church community had a chance to Look at the mission and vision of GRX. I mean, why did God place you here, and what are you all about? And I think this month you're exploring some of the practical steps you can take to see, as a church community, how you can put that into practice. And I think there are some great principles that we can learn from the life of Gideon. So if you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn, and I'm going to read from uh, chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I'm going to skip over to uh, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving them down alive. Um, many of you guys are familiar with this story. It's one of my favorite Bible stories because the character of Gideon is somebody that I can really identify with because uh, he just seems like a normal guy. Um, you know, He's reluctant. He's afraid, he's imperfect, uh, he's insecure, just like me. But I, I think the bottom line is that, you know, Midian, through all of his insecurities, he obeys. And that that's the, the, the message that I want to present to you today. Um, Gideon, uh, during this time uh, when the Israelites were being oppressed by all the eastern peoples, uh, and in fact the passage tells us that Midian... And the Amalekites, they they so oppressed, they so um, made the Israelites suffer that all the Israelites were hiding out. When the the Midianites, the Amalekites, would come like swarms of locusts with their camels and their tents, and they would destroy every living thing. They would just burn up all the crops. They would steal all the animals. And their hand was so oppressive that the people of Israel, they were living up in mountains. Up in the mountains, they were living in caves. There were living in mountain-class hiding. And this is a context that we find Midian in, okay? And Midian in the midst of hiding, in the midst of all this uh, occupation by the Midianites. Where is he? He is in a wine press. And a wine press back in those days was just a pit in the ground. And here he is. What is he doing? He's kind of hiding. He's got a little bit of wheat that was hidden from the Midianites and it's threshing wheat in this wine press. And uh, this is a context in which God calls Gideon out of, and uh, I guess what I want to, the question that I want to ask you this morning is, what is a wine press in your own life? What is your life situation? You know, I always look at, you know, what I call the straight life. You know, you live life, you are just involved in living, and you're occupied with things of this life that you don't really think about much else, right? So I call that the straight life, where you're in your metaphorical wine press, and that's all you think about. You don't think about anything else. You just you're in this straight life. You're in this job, you're in school, your family, and that is your focus. And that was Gideon's world at that point. It was in this literally this metaphorical wine press. And that is a situation that God calls him out of. And my question to you this morning is as you examine your own life, what is the wine press that you find yourself in? Okay, what is the wine press of your life? And is God calling you out of that wine press? Is God calling you out of the straight life that you're in to something bigger, to something greater? My own wine press, my own journey out of my wine press begins, uh, well, a long time ago. I won't mention how many years, but I was born in Korea, and uh, around the age of five, you know, Korea back then, you know, we were just a few years post-war, and life wasn't that great. So in order to seek a better life, my parents moved, moved our family to Brazil, so I grew up in Brazil, okay? I was a Brazilian, Korean, American. Um, but, you know, the amazing thing is, you know, God called us out of, I guess, that wine press of Korea, but none of us believed. You know, our families were kind of Buddhist, semi-Confucianists. But in Brazil, we began attending a, a church. And uh, in that church, my parents came to know the Lord. And th- in that Brazilian immigrant church context, that I came to know faith as well. But another amazing thing about this church that I attended in Brazil is that um, it was a very missions-minded church. And uh, I I remember this, is that every month they had a mission Sunday and they would invite a missionary to come to speak in their their church. And, you know, I was around eight years old at the time and I don't know what it was about their stories. I don't even remember their stories. But I just remember an eight-year-old kid being captivated by what they had to say. And I remember sitting at the very front of the church and just being amazed at the stories they had to tell and it was then that um uh, that god called me to life of missions i knew as an eight-year-old kid man someday i want to be a missionary and god called me out of that wine press and i wish i could tell you that at eight years old i became the youngest missionary ever but no it took um it was it took like 30 years for that to to be realized and uh you know, um, you know, we we moved to the states. You know, went through education, had a family, got a job, and I was working. You know, uh, at a at a, a medical practice, and for seven or eight years, that was my street life. I wasn't really thinking of anything else. And then again, God entered, and He called me out of that wine press. My question to you this morning is: What is that wine press that you find yourself in? Um, again, the amazing thing about Gideon is that. Uh, you know He is so insecure, he's so afraid, yet he obeys. Um, he takes that step of faith to get out of the wine winepress. Um, God calls Gideon to obey, to become a savior uh, for the Israelites and save them from all these people that are oppressing them. But he does it reluctantly, doesn't he? Um, God calls him to be a judge and leader of Israel. Uh, and one of the things that he asks Gideon to do is tear down the, the, the altar to Baal tear down the Asher poles and i don't know if you remember the story but you know how he does it he does it but he does it at night so you know he you know he doesn't you know get people angry at him he does it in secret um another thing that god um asked him to do is ask gideon to raise up an army of israelites to go meet the enemy in battle and this is a famous story you guys remember the story is gideon asked for a sign right says, you know, the woolen fleece. I'm gonna leave the fleece out on the threshing floor and and if there's dew all around the fleece, uh, do on the fleece, but none all around, then I know it's a sign from you. Well God does that. And but he asks for another sign. He's not convinced, so he asked the, the opposite, right? Now there's dew everywhere else but not on the fleece. And God does that. Um and even like after Gideon gathers the army, I don't know if you remember the story, but another thing's happening you know, God asks him to so he he gathers an army he recruits an army of 32,000 Israelites but you remember what God does he no, that's too much he whittles them down to 10,000 from 10,000 to 300 okay and even there Gideon is dealing with that insecurity oh my gosh we're going to you know fight hundreds of thousands of uh, an army of hundreds of thousands with just 300 men okay here is a biblical principle in this although he was fearful The point, ultimately, is that Gideon obeys. And he did not let his fear keep him from his obedience. Okay? It was somebody with a weak faith trusting God. You know, the amazing thing is this, is that God condescends to him. God is okay with your insecurities. God is okay with your fears. And he meets Gideon at that level, doesn't he? Um, Another thing about obedience is obedience requires trust. And trust depends on the trustworthiness of God. Okay, when you take a step of faith and you obey God, you're not trusting in yourself, although that is our tendency. It's like, you know, how can we do this? We have a tendency to trust in our abilities, our strength or whatever. But, you know, your step of obedience ultimately depends on the trustworthiness of God. Obedience is a choice and an act of the will. Okay, it's a choice that you make consciously and you take that step of faith. Obedience involves letting go. As we look at life of Gideon, uh, he had to let go of his own fear. He had to let go of his inadequacy. And for a lot of you, as you explore, you know, what is God calling me to do? How can I obey God? You know, that may involve letting go of your own fears. Uh, it may perhaps even involve letting go of something material. It may involve letting go of someone, even. Okay, I don't know. What I do know is that unless you let go, okay, you cannot discover what God has in store for you, okay? Let me say that again. Unless you let go of that something that's keeping you from your step of faith, you're not gonna know what's on the other side, okay? Unless that you pass that threshold of faith, you step over, you're always gonna be looking in. You're not gonna know what God has in store for you. The blessing, the adventure, the amazing things that lie on the other side. Uh, as Pastor Casey mentioned, we served for six years in, in Kyrgyzstan. And for many of you who don't know where that is, it's okay. It's about two countries north of Afghanistan. It's predominantly a Muslim country. And uh, in Kyrgyzstan, in a place, in the southern part of Kyrgyzstan, in a place called Osh, there's a pastor named, we'll call him S. We'll call him Stephen. That's not his real name. And Stephen, uh, when he was a teen, when he was growing up, he was a bully, okay? was a big guy for a kyrgyz guy and uh, he had this huge he had these ginormous hands okay and he loved to fight and every fight that he would get into he would just win because he was a big strong guy and you know uh, his favorite pastime was on a weekend he had a little buddy they they would go out together go drinking and his little guy would pick a fight with somebody and then pastor Stephen, well back then he wasn't a pastor but he would come and get in this fight and you know, this was his lifestyle. This was what he would do every week and get in trouble. And so much so that, you know, he was put in jail many times because he would get into these fights. What happened with Pastor Stephen is while he was in jail, one of these times is that there was a Russian Christian lady who came to visit him. And she kept on visiting him and persisted and started sharing the gospel with him. And you know what? By golly, Pastor Stephen came to know the Lord, okay, in jail. And then his lifestyle started changing. He stopped drinking. They stopped beating people up, okay? And then ultimately, you know, he became a pastor, and uh, he started evangelizing, and And it's very difficult for somebody who's culturally Muslim to become a Christian. It pastor Stephen, in a predominantly Muslim context, in a very hostile environment, he was sharing the gospel, he was evangelizing peoples, and pretty soon he had a big church. What had happened is, during that time, the Muslim community got wind of what he was doing, and they were very upset, okay? You know, here he was, you know, basically converting people from Islam into Christianity, and that's something that's punishable by death uh, in that community, right? So, you know, this was many years later. Pastor Stephen had a family by that time, but the local Muslim leaders got so riled up about this that one uh, Friday after evening prayers, they started basically rallying up the crowds, and they collected a mob, okay? The mob of hundreds of people, and they went knocking on Pastor Stephen's door. I mean, they were basically going to drag him out and kill him, okay? And they were knocking on his gate, and uh, Pastor Stephen was inside with his two kids and his wife, and here's this huge mob, okay? And if you imagine yourself in, in that situation, what are you going to do, okay? What are you going to do? So the crowd, the mob is at the gate. They're about to break it down. And Pastor Stephen decides he's going to go out and confront confront this crazy mob, and basically say, you know, I am, you know, I am a Christian. I am what I am, and uh, you know, do what you want. And then, so he goes out to his gate, okay, and just imagine the fear. Okay, your family's in there too, and you know, who knows what the mob will do to them. And he's at the gate. He's about to open the gate, and you know, he musters up enough courage in that moment to step through the gate. And he opens the gate. The mob is outside. They're yelling. They're throwing things. And he passes over the threshold of that gate. And you know what happens? There's this amazing sense of peace that envelops him. And, and, you know, he shares this testimony. He's just so overcome. Like all of his fear gets replaced by peace, okay? And in that moment, as he steps out and faces the mob, you know, mob is a very scary thing, but a mob is also very confusing. So in the moment that he's stepping out, there's this crazy confusion that seizes a mob. And in that moment, somehow the police is able to come in, grab him, grab his family, and whisk him away. And he survives the mob, okay? And to this day, Pastor Stephen is in Osh, and is serving the church. And, but the point that I want to make is this. And Pastor Stephen, you know, you can imagine how afraid he was. But unless he passed the threshold of that gate and to just letting himself go, he wouldn't have experienced God's peace, okay? And that is what it's like in our step of obedience. Unless you pass that threshold of taking a step of faith, no matter what's on the other side, you're never going to experience God's peace. You're never going to experience what God has in store for you on the other side. Another thing about the story of Gideon is it, it it'll, his life illustrates this amazing biblical principle that our weakness, our fallibility, our imperfection, our fears is God's strength. Okay. Um, one of the famous quotes, I think it comes from Corey Tamboom, says, the safest place to be is inside, is in the center of God's will. Okay? And, you know, even despite all of our fallibilities, it is in those things, it is in that weak part of who you are that God manifests his strength. Listen to Gideon uh, in, in Judges. You know, Gideon considers himself, why? Well, you know, I'm the weakest in my family, and my clan is the weakest tribe in Israel, and he's the least of his family. And, you know, he's also a hesitant, a bear, right? He continues to ask proof from God. You know, he has two proofs, and then... Even when, before he's about to ask the Midianites, he's still not sure, okay? And God reduces his army from 32,000 people to 300, okay? And in, in the life, in the view of the world, you know, that is weakness, right? But in the eyes of God, this is what God says, okay? In verse 12, it says, the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, okay? I mean, where did this come from? This is even before anything has happened. This is how God views Gideon, a mighty warrior, And in verse 14, it says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Okay? And again, God uses a band of, ragtag band of 300 to save Israel from an army of thousands. Here's a biblical principle that we can take home from this. Is what we perceive to be our obstacles to obedience is exactly what he uses, what God uses to bring himself glory. Okay? You guys know that verse in 2 Corinthians. um, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, we will boast all the more gladly about our weakness so that Christ's power may rest in us. Okay? That's the way it is with obeying God. It's far from being hardships. they are actually benefits, okay? Because obedience to God's will inevitably leads to God's blessing. And this is ironic because normally when we think of... uh, uh, the reason we usually disobey is God, we think that obedience will be more painful to us than following God's commands, right? In fact, I think it can be stated categorically that in the long run, disobedience to God, in the long run, disobedience to God always produces more pain than obedience, okay? Disobedience to God always produces more pain than obedience. Um, if you can go to the next slide, um, The man on the left there is is Kruchan. Pastor Kruchan, he's my partner that I work with, and uh, he's an amazing guy. But when you look at him, you would never think that because he's so unassuming, you know, a small guy, so quiet. Uh, Pastor Kruchan is Lao, okay? He grew up in Laos during the Vietnam War, and because of the war in Vietnam, his family grew up in a refugee camp in in Thailand. And in this refugee camp... um, you know, during his school years, there's a missionary that came to share the gospel with him, and Kru-chan came came to know the Lord. And uh, so during this time, he he grew up in a refugee camp for 20 years, okay? And then after he got out, uh, he was finally able to get Thai citizenship, and he started working as a teacher. And uh, during this time, he came in contact with our organization, uh, Sustainable, Sustainable Development Research Foundation, and he started working as a teacher. Now you can kind of imagine Kuchan, okay, he grew up as a refugee, you know, in a war-torn country, and he grew up in Thailand not really having citizenship, you know. You know, what can he do? You know, how significant is he? He's working as a school teacher, okay? Yet, you know, he had this amazing sense, he had this burning sense in his heart that God wanted him to reach his people, okay? And his people is part of a hill tribe called uh, a, people called Lua people that live in way in northern Thailand along the border with Laos. And there are about 100,000 people, 100,000 Lua that live in Thailand and Laos. And he had a burden for that people. So one day what he did was, uh, you know, he just wanted to go visit his family, okay? wanted to go visit his people uh, up in the mountains. And uh, so he asked our director for permission to go and says, fine, why don't you take a week and go? So he goes up to to visit his relatives, his family. And, you know, he's not really doing anything. He says he's just sharing his life with them. And then a week, week passes, and he calls our director back, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm just here. I'm sharing my life with the family, but I've been sharing that I'm, I'm a believer, and 10 of them have come to Christ. What do I do? Okay? My director wisely says, well, why don't you stay another week and see what happens, okay? So another week passes. He calls back and says, and now there's 30 people. What do I do? You know, this goes on and on and on. This was about eight years ago. And now, you know, among the Lua peoples, from zero believers, there's about 800 believers in this region because of this little unassuming man who grew up in a refugee camp, refugee from his own nation, okay? The world would see that as weak, okay? And if you grew up in that context, you probably wouldn't think of much yourself either. But you know, that weakness is manifest in God's strength. And just because of crouton, This whole ministry, this amazing church movement is happening in a province called Nan, where you, GRX and two medical teams already to serve. Um, And again, God actually wants us in places of weakness. You know why? So that his strength and power can be magnified. Okay. Unfortunately for us, we cannot experience the blessing that comes with submission and obedience until, again, we pass that threshold of faith, okay? I believe we're all created to bring glory to God, okay? And, you know, what does that mean? You know, I've always thought, what does it mean to give glory to God? You know, we we sing that, we say that all the time. One of the best definitions that I've heard of giving glory to God is this, is giving glory to God means manifesting God's presence wherever you are, okay? You're You're a small manifestation Of God's presence, no matter where you are and where you go. For some of us, uh, that call may be the same as Gideon taking small steps to develop trust and and obeying in small ways, okay? For others, that might mean much bigger steps of faith, much radical steps of obedience. The bottom line is that to, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not about how big the step you take, okay, but rather the bottom line of obedience, okay? And the rest is really up to God. I believe the degree of our sacrifice, okay, what we need to give up in our submission to his will, really, I don't think that really matters to God. You know, like, I'm giving up this, you know, I'm giving up a nice job, giving up a nice position, whatever. Because, you know, God knows that the blessings that he can give you is so much bigger. is so much greater than anything you can imagine. Okay, we have these little things that we hold on to. You know, relationships, I don't know, position, power, I, whatever it may be. You know, we hold on to these little things. I can't let go, God. It's because we don't see what's on the other side of the threshold, what God has in store for you, okay? One of the greatest themes in my own life is that, um, that's that been so true is that you know, God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others, okay? You know, maybe some of you may not consider yourself blessed, but, you know, having lived in Kyrgyzstan, have lived, being lived in Thailand you guys are blessed. Okay, you guys are blessed materially. You guys are blessed in so many ways. And I think for all of us, God gives you that blessing. It's not something to be ashamed of, but in the context of you blessing others because you've been blessed, okay? In closing, I want to share one final illustration. Um, is uh, You guys all know the story of David Livingstone. You know, he's one of the first, he was a physician, one of the first missionaries to the heart of Africa, okay? Before David Livingstone's time, you know, mission to Africa was along the coast because people really couldn't penetrate the inside of Africa, okay? And David Livingstone, um, you know, for years, okay, he landed in Africa, was in the coastal towns and was trying to penetrate the, the heart of Africa, the darkest part of Africa, but he had such a hard time partly because uh, his health wasn't great and he came down with dysentery and, uh, you know, it was so hard physically for him to try to complete this journey, okay? But one of the the many missionaries' trips that he made into Africa, he, okay, he's going to do it, okay? I'm going to get into the heart of Africa. And his body was still weak. You know, by this time, his, his wife had died, okay, in Africa. And, you know, he was alone and he was going into... Uh, just places where uh, it hasn't been explored before. And because of his dysentery and his body was so weak, one of his saving graces, one thing that he really hung on to was that he had a milk goat, okay, that he carried with him. And he wouldn't drink the water, but he would drink the milk from this goat. And that was something that was really giving him any source of, like what little source of strength that he had to complete this journey. Well, as he was heading into the heart of Africa, He was at a crossroad, and there was a huge tribal area, huge tribe, and basically that was kind of blocking his way to to where he wanted to go, to the heart of Africa. And so he, you know, his interpreters, his porters, his party, came to this place, and basically the people around him would tell him, "You gotta go through this tribe. You gotta go through this village, because the chief chief of this tribe wields so much influence, okay, so much power in this part of Africa." you got to go through him and, and, and pay homage to him. So he goes in, and as he goes in, you know, he meets the people there, and he learns from the locals that one of the, um, uh, one of the traditions that are in this village, with anybody coming into this village, is to pay tribute to the chief. And the way you do that, okay, is you go before the chief, and you basically lay out, lay out all your belongings, okay? Lay out all your material belongings. And the chief looks over that, and he takes one thing for himself. And then that's as a tribute to himself. Okay? So basically his party, uh, David Livingstone's party, goes in, and uh, they go before the chief and his council, and he has to lay out all his belongings, you know, all the stuff that he, all of his supplies. And the chief comes out, okay, with his staff, and then he goes around looking at everything. And what is David Livingstone thinking this whole time? He's thinking, oh, Lord, please, everything, but not the goat. Okay, please, not the goat. Okay, because that was something that he was hanging on to. Okay, something that was giving him the, the small amount of strength that he needed to go on this journey. And what does the chief choose? Okay, he chooses a goat. And then once that happens, David Livingstone's his heart just falls. Okay, I mean, he's just so devastated. Okay, this is it. This is the end of my journey because you know the only thing that I was hanging on to is taken away from me. Okay, and he just gathers up his things, gathers up his party, and is going on this journey. And you know, he's so dejected and he's just totally lost his spirit, lost his confidence, and is walking out of the village. And at that time uh, there's a messenger that comes running across the village to him as he's leaving and he says, You know the king you know, because of your tribute to him has given you this gift. And he gives him the king's staff. It's like a big stick, okay? And David Livingstone is think thinking, okay, I gave up my precious milk oat, and what do I get? I get a big stick, okay? And then they go on this journey a little more and then his, his interpreter comes up to him. You know what? Do you know what that is? That's just not a stick. That's a king's staff. That's a staff that's going to give you passage, to all the interior tribal parts of Africa, okay? And David Livingstone realized, okay, here I am hanging on to this goat, okay? Hanging on to what I think is precious, what I hold secure, what I think is dear. What I was missing out is God's blessing of the king's staff that gives him free passage and free journey throughout the heart of Africa. You know, often that's like, it's like that with us, isn't it? We hang on to these things in life that we think it's secure, that that we think gives us strength, gives us trust, but we're missing out the greater blessing that God has in store for you. We're missing out on King's staff. Can can we close our eyes? And I just want to ask you some reflective questions, okay, in closing. Okay. The first question that I want to ask you is, what are you holding on to that's hindering God's glory to be more fully revealed in your life? Okay, is it too great a cost? Is it a relationship? Is it work? insecurity reputation is a comfort is it being financially secure Where do you need to make a choice to trust god and obey okay and it doesn't have to be something big okay? it could be something small it could be sharing the gospel with someplace at work okay it could be becoming a partner at grx you've been attending here for many years but you never that took, took that step of faith to become a committed partner of this community it could be something small as that okay is fear keeping you from obeying him? There's an, there's an author by the name of Ambrose Redmoon who said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather judgment that something else is more important than fear. What weaknesses do you see in yourself that you need to submit to God for him to use, to use and be glorified? Are you using those weaknesses as, a, as an excuse not to obey what he is asking? God wants to use broken vessels. He takes us just as we are, with our fallibilities, imperfections, our fears. Do we just not say that he wants us in weak places so that he can manifest his strength so that he gets all the glory? I believe everyone is being called to something, whether it's something small or something big. However, all need to be faithful in obedience and stepping out in faith regardless of where you are so it could be in school it could be at work it could be moving to thailand or kyrgyzstan it could be whatever how are we obeying that command i know that there's some of you who are ready to obey something that god may be calling you to do but like me a huge obstacle may be inadequacy you may feel that you're not ready spiritually emotionally financially whatever I want to argue that the fallacy of this is that likely you will never feel ready in your own eyes or even the eyes of God. If we wait until we have faith to be obedient, we will never be obedient enough to have faith. Let me say that again. If we wait until we have the faith to be obedient, we will never be obedient enough to have faith. If we will but step out and trust God, even in the smallest of ways, with the most minor of obediences, we will discover that God is really loving. Okay? The things that he asks us to are the best for us. He is sovereign, and he alone can order our circumstances to bring about what is best for us. And obedience flows out of a love for God, okay, and leads us to greater intimacy with him. Think about this for a second. Have you ever regret, regretted okay, an act of obedience to God? And then think about this. Have you ever regretted an act of disobedience to God? I want to ask you one last time what is your goat what are you holding on to let's pray Father God Lord we just confess to you that we are weak we're so wrapped up in our own insecurities and fears so we tend to hold on to things of life that we think are secure that we think give us strength yet we miss out on your peace we miss out on your strength and experiencing the fullness of your blessing that you have to give us. So Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us the faith to step over that threshold to experience the goodness, the the amazing blessing and journey that you have on the other side? So whatever it may be, Lord, and particularly this month as we experience Missions Month, as we explore so many opportunities both locally and globally to serve you and to step out of our comfort zone. But would you be able to apply, help us to be able to apply uh, this principle of your strength being manifested in our own weakness uh, through our steps of obedience. So we want to just give this time to Jesus' name we